You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, we're going to take a look at these two passages, these two events that are given to us in the gospel. But first, just a quick word about the epistle lesson uh, from 1 Corinthians 13, especially that we have this little riddle at the end. Paul writes, faith Hope and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. And we have to say, well, how, how is that the case? How is love greater than faith and hope? It's after all faith that saves us, right? It's, it's by faith that we're justified. By faith, we have the righteousness of God imputed to us. By faith, we, we, the, the, the door is open to life eternal. It's by faith that Bartimaeus, the blind man outside Jericho, was healed. Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Faith seems like, if you were going to make the list and put one at the top, it seemed like faith would go at the top. Faith, then love and hope. But not so, Paul says, faith, hope, and love, these three, and the greatest of these is love. And and this is why. It's because faith and hope are only for a while. Faith is only while we cannot see the face of Jesus. We walk by faith, not by sight, now. But one day, our faith will give way to sight. In other words, one day you won't need faith. You'll just look at Jesus in the face. And He'll tell you that He loves you and He forgives your sins. One day, you won't need hope because all your hopes will be brought to you. They'll be fulfilled. All your, the, the, all these Christian hopes, the things that the Bible tells us to long for, the, the, the end of the reign of death and the, and the, the new heaven and the new earth where righteousness dwells. One day we will be there. One day we'll be, we'll be living there already. There'll be nothing to hope for because we'll have it all. So faith will give way to sight. Hope will give way to the Lord's gifts. But love will continue. And in this way, love is the greatest. That we will abide in love and we will pursue love all the way through death, into life, into heaven, into the resurrection, and into the new heaven and the new earth that knows no ending. Love will abide. And that's why it's the greatest. Now that's really quite wonderful. Now, to the Gospel. It is, uh, I think there's some great wisdom in this text right here as we're kind of on the edge of Lent getting ready to go into this seven-week uh, odyssey of repentance considering the suffering of Jesus. Because, because Jesus is headed to Jerusalem for this suffering. It's, he's headed down from north in Galilee. They've gone down the Jordan River. Probably on the other side, they've crossed now back over the Jordan River, right in the same area where Jesus was baptized by John, and they've come onto the plains of Jericho and into Jericho itself. And Jesus is now going to take the disciples aside and tell them for the third time that the reason they're going to Jerusalem is so that he can die. It's the third time he's preached it. And it's not what he says is not unclear. Taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. And what are those things that are written by the prophets that are going to be accomplished? Well, here he says it. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, 
That's the Romans, Pilate and the soldiers and such. And he'll be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And then, after flogging him, they will kill him. And then, on the third day, he will rise. I don't, there's no, I don't think Jesus could have said it in any clearer words. He, he just told them exactly what's going to happen. Look, guys, we're going to Jerusalem, and there I'm going to be handed over to, I'm going to be arrested. The Romans are going to take me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to mock me. They're going to flog me. And then they're going to kill me. And I will be dead for three, on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. But look at what, and it's amazing that Luke wants us to not miss the fact that they missed the fact. Verse 34. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. In other words, Jesus was preaching to them in the, in the clearest of words, but they had no way to comprehend what he was saying. Now, we remember the first time that Jesus told them he was going to die, what happened? He says that the Son of Man has to be handed over, has to be crucified, and then on the third day rise, and Peter stood up and said, Lord, it can't be. I won't let it happen. You can't go and suffer and die. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for your mind is not on the things of men, but on the things, on the things of God, but on the things of man. Well, still now, after Jesus has been teaching this to them, for weeks at least, maybe for months, it still hasn't gotten through their heads that Jesus is going to have to die, much less be raised. They simply don't get it. It's amazing, really. They, and I suppose this is what um, the mind of man does, they want Jesus to be the teacher, or be, be the Savior by His teaching. They want Jesus to be the Savior by what He says. Or they want Jesus to be the Savior according to power. They want Him to come into town and overthrow the Romans and bring the kingdom, of, restore the glory that David had when he was ruling and reigning. Or whatever. But the mind of the flesh cannot comprehend the things of the Spirit of God. That God is pleased to save the world through His suffering and death and resurrection. It is, this is, I think, helpful for us, by the way, to know that if you understand what Jesus is saying here, if you understand what is meant when Jesus says that he has to go to Jerusalem and he has to be crucified and he'll rise on the third day and he will do that for your salvation, if you understand that, it's because God the Holy Spirit has given you the mind to comprehend it. He has given you the capacity to receive it. He has given you faith to believe it. So Jesus preaches the cross. And then the second episode of the text is they come into Jericho. This is picking up at verse 35. As Jesus drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. We know his name uh, is Bartimaeus, I think from the Gospel of Mark. 
And he hears the crowd going by and he inquires, what does this mean? And they say that Jesus of Nazareth is going by. And so Bartimaeus starts crying out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now this is an amazing thing to notice, just to to pay attention to what Bartimaeus at this point knows. I mean, here's a blind man standing outside of Jericho, and you think that he's paying attention to the things that are going on, he's paying attention to the news, he's asking people what's happening, and he has heard somehow of this man Jesus, perhaps that he's able to heal people. He's healed lepers, he's even raised the dead, and here Bartimaeus thinks maybe he'll be able to fix what my problem is, maybe he'll be able to help me to see. But it's an amazing thing to see that they say to Bartimaeus that this is Jesus of Nazareth and listen to how he addresses Jesus. He doesn't say, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, why son of David? And why does he call him son of David? We remember 2 Samuel chapter 7, one of the most important episodes of the Old Testament, is that David had... He'd gone out and he was doing all of his warring stuff and he'd conquered all the enemies and now he's back in Jerusalem. He'd built himself a nice palace out of cedar wood and next to the palace was the tabernacle, the tent that Moses had built like 500 years earlier. So no doubt they had done some repairs, but here's a tent. The Lord is in a tent and David is in a house. And so David says, this doesn't seem right to me. I'm going to build a house for the Lord. So he goes to the prophet Nathan, his friend, and says, I'm going to build the Lord a house. And Nathan says, whatever your heart desires, do it. But then Nathan has a dream, a vision that night, and he comes back to David the next day and he says, wait a minute, the word, the Lord has a word for you. And the Lord comes to King David and says, did I command you to build a house for me? No, I did not. And in fact, I'm going to build a house for you. Your seed will sit on your throne forever. Now this is an amazing promise. It's the promise that the son of David will be the eternal Messiah. Remember how we had it from from Eve, from Adam and Eve. The seed will crush the head of the devil. And then it came through Abraham. And your seed, all the nations will be blessed. And it went from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and then to Judah. And then at the time of Judah, there was no more promises until we got to the great, great 14th grandson of Judah, King David. And the Lord reinvigorates this promise and says, now the Messiah will be your son as well. So that when Bartimaeus says, Jesus, son of David, he is confessing all of these things. He's confessing, I know that the Messiah is coming. I know that the seed will come to crush the head of the devil. I know that David's son will sit on the throne forever. And I know that the promised one is right here and his name is Jesus. It's a marvelous confession of faith. Jesus, Son of David. And then the last part of his prayer is even more stunning. It's the prayer that's repeated over and over in the Psalms to the Lord. Have mercy on me. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were going in front rebuked Bartimaeus, telling him to quiet down. But he cried out all the more. That's stunning. The, the, the faith cannot be stopped. He cries out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So finally Jesus stops and asks them to bring Bartimaeus to him. And he asked Bartimaeus, what can I do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. 
And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him, glorifying God. Uh, my friend Pastor Melius pointed out the surprise of this text to me this week. It says, immediately he recovered his sight. And then what do you expect the, the next verb to be? He recovered his sight and he saw Jesus. He recovered his sight and he looked around. He recovered his sight and he was awed with what he saw. No, it, look at what it says. He recovered his sight and he followed Jesus. It's fantastic. Fantastic. And all the people when they saw it gave praise to God. Now the thing that we need to do when we see the, this text and texts like it is say, what do you mean, Jesus? Your faith has made you well. You are the one who has made him well. You're the one who healed him. You're the one who gave him his sight. You're the one who, who, who fixed what was broken. You're the, you're the one that, that made what was wrong to now be right and well and good. You're the one. Why is it that Jesus will always give credit to faith? Instead of taking it for himself. And here I think we can put, we can put these two episodes in the gospel text together. I'm going to see if this is, I, I don't know exactly if this is going to work, but we're going to try it. Because there's a theological danger that we often miss. And that is this distinction between the way the gifts of the gospel are accomplished and the way the gifts of the gospel are delivered. Let me say, try to say that again. There's a way that the gifts of the gospel are accomplished or won for us, and there's a way that the gifts of the gospel are delivered and brought to us. Uh, Martin Luther, in this glorious little thing uh, against the heavenly prophets, says it like this. We have to make a distinction between the winning of forgiveness and the delivery of forgiveness. Forgiveness was won for us by the death of Jesus on the cross, but it's brought to us in the preaching of the word. Forgiveness of sins is won when Jesus suffered in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. But forgiveness is delivered when you were baptized. Forgiveness was won when Jesus breathed out His last. But forgiveness is delivered from His altar where He gives you His body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. So it's won by the act, by the suffering, and by the death. But it's delivered by the preaching and by the Word and by the Holy Spirit working in the church. Now this is important for us to know this distinction because a lot of people think, well, how do I get the forgiveness of sins? Well, I'm going to go now to the foot of the cross. In fact, there's hymns about this. At the foot of the cross, we go to the foot of the cross, we find Jesus. But the problem is, there is no foot of the cross anywhere. Even if you go to Jerusalem, where the foot of the cross used to be in the hill, it's now just a, a hill, a hole in the ground. There's nothing there. If you go to the tomb, it remains empty. There's no forgiveness of sins to be found there. So where do you find the forgiveness of sins? How does the forgiveness of sins and the victory of Jesus get to you? It gets to you in the Word. And you have it by faith. By believing the Word by trusting the promise, by knowing that the death of Jesus was for you. Now, now this, this theological thing makes 
it, it helps us answer one of these questions that always comes up. Uh, I'm just looking to see. You guys have asked me this question, some of you. And, it's, and it goes something like this. Well, Pastor, if, uh, if Jesus died, you know, in the year 33, how did the people, how were people before that saved? How were people in the Old Testament saved? How were their sins forgiven? If it's now by faith in the death of Jesus, how did, how did they get it? Was it by works or something like this? Well, the answer is, it's the same. And once Jesus has decided to die for the sins of the world, He can distribute it, that forgiveness, forward in time or backwards in time through the preaching of the Word, however He wants to get it to the people. So that the people of the Old Testament heard the words of promise and believed those words and were saved. And we, the people of the New Testament, hear these words and believe these promises and are saved. The Word delivers the forgiveness of sins. And in this way, Jesus can say to Bartimaeus, your faith saved you. Did Jesus save him? Yes. But Jesus delivered that salvation. He, deli- he delivered the seeing eyes to Bartimaeus by his promise, recover your sight. And he believed. And he was made well. And so it is with us. We, we can't go back in time to see the death of Jesus, to, to behold the cross. We can't go back to that, to the, to the week of Jesus' passion. And in fact, it's important for us to remember that because I think sometimes a lot of people think about Lent as like going back and pretending that you're there. No, we can't do it. There's no pretending in the church. But it doesn't matter. Because Jesus, who died on the cross 2,000 years ago, brings that victory right here to you right here, in His Word. Right here in the absolution. Right, right here in, in the font. Right here on the altar. Jesus, Jesus brings everything, all of the victory that He won in His death and resurrection, that He was teaching to His disciples. He brings it right to you, and you, dear saints, you have it. All of your sins are forgiven. Heaven is open. You're destined for the resurrection. Eternal life is yours. Your faith has made you well. Your Jesus has died for your sins. Your eternal life is guaranteed. And when we hear this, like all the people in Jericho that day, we give praise to God. Amen. And the grace of God and the peace of God which passes all that our own minds can do. Guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.